Welcome to Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. I think in order to you know progress through the career, a number of levels or over you know a long period of time, it's people that you've worked with and create these relationships with that are going to be your supporters. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. That clip was from our guest, Doug Ward, with USAA, a major, major, major private employer headquartered in San Antonio, but with multi-state operations and with customers literally all over the globe. This is going to be another unique episode in that, first of all, it was generated by a request from a listener. I had the great opportunity to get some feedback on the show from one of our listeners in Houston, and they asked if we could get a guest on the show from USAA because of the excellent reputation USAA has for being a premier employer. And on top of that, through other connections, we were able to get a very special guest, Doug Ward, their chief investment officer, obviously a very important role in a financial services related organization. I know that investments is one of those areas that many of us accountants consider as a potential direction for our career, so I was really happy that Doug was open to coming on the show and sharing a little of his insight into his successful career there at USAA, but also into the investment career space as well. It's a really good interview. If you find that this episode really speaks to you, we have a couple others there on the website as well that touch on the investments field. Simply go to the podcast page at Where Accountants Go. Once again, that's the podcast page at www.whereaccountantsgo.com and use the word advisor in the search bar and a few other guests with investment-related career paths will pop up as well. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Here's Doug Ward, Chief Investment Officer with USAA. Well, hello, Doug. Thank you so much for making the time for this interview. I know in your position, it's something that definitely needs to be pre-scheduled, and I know your time is valuable. So thank you very much. Well, you're welcome, Mark. It's my pleasure. I'm excited to add a few words to all those great folks that you've already had on on podcasts to to see uh, if my words help someone in their career as an accountant. Wonderful. Wonderful. I'm sure it will. Well, for our audience, I asked Doug to come on the program actually due to a request from the most important people involved in our podcast, and and that's you, the audience. Mm -hmm. Doug works for what is by far the largest private employer in San Antonio, Texas, and really it expands past San Antonio as well. Doug is with USAA, and he's built a very successful career with them over about the last 30 years or so. His career is is really a little different than many of our guests, though, in that it's heavier in the finance and investments field. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Doug, 
I want to leave all the details to you to share with the audience, but let's start at the beginning so we get sort of a full picture of how your career has progressed. What initially caused you to pursue accounting and finance as a possible career in the first place? I tell you, Mark, it was purely self-preservation. You noted that I've been at USA 30 years, and so if you go back in time in South Texas, the mid-80s, after the Tax Reform Act of, of 1986, it really had a, a significantly detrimental impact to South Texas, especially real estate. And at the time, I was working, I had just started a job in, in commercial real estate. And when that, uh, when the Tax Reform Act of 1986 came through, I thought, wow, I need to do something with my education a little bit better to, in order to be able to weather these types of storms. So I got a really good piece of advice from a man in commercial real estate and said, you know, you need to get more accounting classes. At the time I was going to school at UTSA and he says, accounting is the language of business and all organizations. And you'll always be able to find a job if you've got those skills. So as I was working on my finance degree at UTSA, I started taking, of course, I had to take accounting courses as a, a core part of that curriculum. I took all of my business electives that I could in accounting courses, and then I took a, a couple of more. And then as I realized, you know, what I had accumulated, if I, you know, took a few more, then I would have a double major in accounting. So that's really, I started off in the finance track and I, and I, because I've, I've always been interested in, in investments and managing investments, but accumulated the accounting is really an insurance policy after being affected from what happened in the commercial real estate industry and, and so forth. Wow. So that's, that's really what got me into accounting and getting, you know, building more depth in accounting than I, than I would have otherwise. Interesting. Well, I, I commend you. I remember getting out with my accounting degree and seeing a flyer that if I just stayed in school one more year, I could have a double major in finance as well. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I, there's no way. <laughs> I can't do it at this point. So <laughs> great move. Great move. You know, I'm well, curious, it worked out you, pretty well. You, yes. You said you were in commercial real estate. So you, mm-hmm. you were already into a career at this point when you were going to college. Is that correct? Yes, that was my intended career is, uh, is working in commercial real estate. And then again, the Tax Reform Act of 1986 really hit the Texas economy hard, the Texas real estate economy hard. And the little firm that I was working with pretty much shut down in, within a couple of weeks. Wow. Okay. Okay. So you're, you're somewhat of a career changer then as well. Okay. Well, that one time, <laughs> yes, uh, it, was, it was interesting how that impacted, you know, just so many people I worked with. And it really, it really just being young at that time, I thought, you know, I don't really want this to happen to me again. So what can I do? What kind of insurance policies and what can I do to mitigate or lessen the impact of maybe, maybe something like this happening again? And that's really what motivated me to stay, stay in school and get the additional accounting enough to, to get the major. And then in, I think it was, well, then 1990, in 1990, I got my license, passed the CPA exam and got my, my license, although I never worked in public accounting my entire life. Okay. Okay. 
So what was your first, I uh, guess, move after college? Did you immediately go to USAA or, or is there somewhere in between that you worked? Well, no, because I started working at USA while I was wrapping up this accounting degree, working at USA during the day and going to UTSA at night. When I worked in a short period of time, I worked in commercial real estate. I had acquired some licenses to basically sell and market real estate limited partnerships. And luckily at that time, that was a product that USAA was marketing to its members. That plus, I had a finance professor at UTSA who was an officer at USAA, had a couple of classes with him, and he said, you know, you know what do you want to do when you finish? And I said, well, I'm, I'd like to get back into real estate, but I don't know if that's going to work. And he says, we're hiring some positions for people to sell and service financial products to our members, including real estate, limited partnerships, and REITs. And I said, oh, that sounds like a pretty good match. And so that's, that's really how I got in the USAA is from that limited amount of commercial real estate experience I had, plus the fact that you know, I wanted to work in investments. I, I had this professor for a couple of courses and was doing well and in that, and they were hiring. Okay. That's how I got into USAA. Okay. Just so I, I know what to ask about, how, how many different positions have you held in, in this 30-year period with USAA? <laughs> Well, that first position was as a an account representative for USAA. That was for about a year and a half. The phone would ring. It would be a member who was looking for a life insurance product, an annuity product, maybe some sort of an investment product like a mutual fund or a, setting up a brokerage account, real estate limited partnerships. So it was a real broad array of basically financial planning and retirement savings type vehicles. And I was licensed for all of them and you know could could handle calls on any of that. Then about after about a year and a half, there was an opportunity that came open for a portfolio assistant working on our USA mutual funds. And I enjoyed working with our members on the phone, but I knew I didn't want to do that my whole career. This opportunity came up to be a portfolio assistant in our mutual fund shop. I took that job for about a year and a half. Then a small job opened up in our, actually in our tax department, doing tax work on our mutual funds and all of our investment products. I did that for about a year. And from that point time on, I then moved into full-time portfolio management, treasury management, capital management in various jobs for USA. I've been in the current department that I'm in now for 12 years and have been the chief investment officer for three now. Okay. Chief investment officer for three. All right. Yes. Hey, I'm curious, have you ever counted up all the different roles that you've had at USA? (laughs) It sounds like it's too many to count at this point. (laughs) You know, I, I count the early ones. They were frequent and they were different because I think it, you know, you're, when you're young and you're new in an organization, you're new in your career, you want to understand different aspects of it. Um, and so it was great to have those sort of three very different jobs early on to try this, try that. Once I've sort of focused in on 
managing investments and financial issues for the company and the company's owned assets, the company's owned capital versus products that our members or other people would buy. I like the focus on managing the company's balance sheet and the company's own assets. And so really, once I started in that path, which was more about 20, probably 24 years ago, since that time I've been, all these jobs have, that I've had since then are, are devoted on managing some aspect of USA's balance sheet invests or employee benefit plans. Hmm. Okay. You know, and I should have asked this earlier, you can probably do it a whole lot more succinctly than I could. For someone that is not in the South Texas area and isn't mm-hmm. familiar with the name USAA, how, how would you describe the business that USAA is in? Well, our business is to be, so our, our clients and our members are all linked to the military in some way or another. They either served, currently serving or retired or separated, could be a dependent of a member or a spouse or a child of a member. So there's always this military connection, either because you personally served or you're an extended family member of of someone who has. So it's a wonderful mission. The mission is to be the provider of choice of financial products and services for the military community. We are a full service, full suite of products, property and casualty, life, retirement, banking, and investments. We have about $250 billion owned and managed assets across the enterprise. Mm, okay. See, I knew if I, I tried to describe it, it was going to be <laughs> several more minutes to <laughs> around the topic. And <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. And, and chief investment officer, that's a singular title, right? I mean, there's only one of you. At, well, there's, there's only or, one of me who manages the, the balance sheet assets of the organization. I have a brethren who is chief investment officer of our retail products and services, such as mutual funds and exchange-traded funds and private wealth management. He is also titled as a chief investment officer, but he is facing our retail products and services for our members. Okay. What is a typical day or or week like in your role now or month? That's a good question. Usually, if I'm not starting the day off with, with a meeting, it is reading various reports and things that I get overnight about what's happening in the markets, especially the overseas markets. Um, any type of economic releases that came out the day before or overnight or what is going to be coming out in the next couple of days and what the prospects are for that. So I try to, I try to start the day pretty early in the morning and get caught up with capital markets across the world, economic releases, and try to set a baseline for that. And then during the day, because I really have five clients at USAA. I've got a property and casualty client, a life insurance client, a bank, a foundation. USAA has a foundation and employee benefit plans, a pension plan and a 401k. So then it's just a matter of usually throughout the day is a variety of of meetings or other sorts of venues where we're discussing what's going on in those businesses. And what I'm looking for is tips and clues 
what's going on in the businesses, sort of synthesize that, what's going on in the markets, and to ensure that the structuring uh, and the asset allocation of these portfolios are you know, where they need to be. And that's typically sort of a normal day, making sure that we understand what's going on in the markets, what the political climate is, the regulatory climate, and making sure that these portfolios are structured in the best way that we can to support those businesses. How large a team do you have? I have myself and 14 people directly on my team, but we're a very matrix organization. So when it comes to evaluating, say, capital and liquidity needs of any one business, I have partners that work in those areas that are connected with members of my team. Same way, portfolio managers who are right here on the same trading floor as I am, they don't report to me, but they are responsible for aspects of managing these portfolios that we set the allocation and strategy for. So about 14 people directly, but it's a large matrixed organization. That's how we do a lot of things here at USAA. Okay. Okay. I, I knew you needed some support. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, for an individual, let's say maybe, you know, I'm a senior in college, I, I, I'm an accounting major, and I'm listening to this podcast, and I think, wow, that, that sounds fun. You know, and I, I would like to get into the investments area. What could I do to make myself, you know, more attractive you know, to be hired into an entry-level mm-hmm. role like that? Is there anything education-wise or anything I could do to, to prepare mm-hmm. myself? Well, if coming out of finance, finance or accounting area, investments mm-hmm. is an area you want to focus in, then I think if you have the opportunity, kind of like I did, I was a finance major, but I took a lot of accounting courses. Make sure that you've got a, you know, a really good, well-grounded basics in finance and capital markets and economics, I'd say, you know, over and above that, that you know, what is maybe just required for that degree, the CFA designation, the Chartered Financial Analyst designation, is, I'd say it's probably the gold standard that there is out there in the market when it comes to building a career and working in the institutional investment space, as opposed to some other designations that are very good if you want to work with individual people and clients and, and things like that. So it's something you, I'd say you, you'd really want to look hard at the CFA designation. It is, it's a great deal of work. It's basically like getting a second master's degree because it takes about three years to, to do it and get it. But I don't know if anything... I don't know of anything any better out there for preparing a person for a career in investments. Is that the certification that you get in portions? Like there's a level one, level two, level three? That's right. That's the yes. one. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I remember reading about the CFA and thinking, you know, there's not many certifications that people would say are more difficult than the CPA, but that one looks challenging. <laughs> well, they were they were both very challenging at, at at their time. I mean, you know, I you've probably heard the joke, you know, what does CPA stand for? And it, one answer to that is can't pass again. And that would probably be me. It was it was a wonderful thing to study for and earn back what I did. It was the most exciting thing I'd ever done. And probably one of the most thrilling things that I'd ever accomplished at, at that time. 
and I wouldn't change anything for it. You know, one of the things I didn't mention in my job is financial statements are super, super important if you're going to be an investment analyst and understanding of financial statements, ratio analysis is is super important. And those are the tools that that we use every single day. So that was a, a really good part of having a strong accounting background and having a strong accounting background probably sets a person up for the level one and the level two very well because you spend a lot of time understanding financial statements and ratio analysis and not having to think about debits and credits and what happens when an asset goes up to the balance sheet on the other side and income and expenses and just how things flow. Having that accounting background was just made the CFA even, it wasn't easy, but it certainly was one less thing that I had to struggle with versus some of my peers. Hmm. That's a good point. That's a good point. You know, USA is, is a dynamic and complex organization and, and your career, I mean, you've definitely you know, progressed over the years and, and really even too many positions to count, you know, so to speak. <laughs> what, what do you feel that or is there anything you can put your finger on that, that led to your ability to move up over the years? Mm-hmm. Any, any trait or anything you look back and you go, well, that was probably a good move. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I tell you, the, the thing, if I had to put my finger on one thing, it was building relationships. Now, it might be called networking. I mean, to me, networking feels a little sort of contrived. It's just, okay. it's just building relationships, right? As I mentioned earlier, we're a very matrixed organization at USA. Hey, if I had an investment strategy, a new one that I wanted to pursue, it's not like I can sit and I retire and say, you know, so let it be written, so let it be done. Um, I have to, I have a, a great deal of coordination, socialization in order to accomplish something like that. And the fact is, is that building real relationships with people that work in those areas over time pays off big time. Just establishing that common thread of trust that we all are part of this mission, this organization. You know, one of the things I always like to do when a new executive comes to USA, it's a very big place. It's very, can be a little intimidating, but if it's an area that you know, that we work with on a, on a regular basis to get things done. I like to reach out to them. Let's go have lunch and learn about each other because it's inevitable that we're going to be working together on probably maybe a big project or something along the way. So I just find that that but building relationships and knowing who to go to in certain situations and then otherwise, then also for other people for being the go-to person to be able to um, help with things like that. And also, obviously, being here 30 years, probably one of the few people who can, who can say, well, you know, why did we do that back in 1995? Why, you know, why was the portfolio <laughs> position like this in 2007 before the financial crisis and, and so forth? And just being able to draw on that has been extremely beneficial to my career. Okay. Okay. I'm curious, what do you most enjoy about either your role or, or working at USA? Well, about working at USA, what I, what I most enjoy is our mission. Our members, for the most part, are doing 
things that, you know, none of us would ever really want to do and doing it in a place, you know, far away and leaving spouses and children behind and sacrificing. And what we owe them is just the best that we can possibly do. And so I just love the mission and I love the fact that we pursue to be the provider of choice for the military community. So that's what I like about coming to work every day, knowing that we've got a very noble mission and it's very worthy. And then what I like, I like a lot about everything that I do, but what I get the most enjoyment out of is that I talked about earlier, working, creating relationships across the organization. And when we've got a, an initiative or an effort or a, whatever that may be that requires socialization, negotiation, and partnership, and then actually, you know, getting something done and moving forward through that. It's that to me, that's, there's a, I get a lot of satisfaction out of that. Hmm. You know, this podcast is about accounting careers and all the different things you can do with, you know, that type of background or education. And it's interesting to me how much, for instance, technology affects our jobs. But mm-hmm. every time I have this conversation, sure, we'll talk about technology, we'll talk about education, we'll talk about skills, technical skills. But when I ask people about what they think went well in their career, or what they think they did well to help them move up, it always comes down to a relationship trait. You know, maybe some people say yes. communication, but it always comes down to the people. And it always will, I think. Really I think you're right. It, a lot of those other elements the education, the technical skills, to me, those are, those are basically table stakes. And you can come into a company and you can have a, an enjoyable work career and do that without building a lot of great relationships. But I think in order to progress through the career, through another, a number of levels or over a long period of time, it's the people that you've worked with and created these relationships with that are going to be your supporters for moving up to that next job. Definitely. You know, actually, on, on the topic of relationships, before we move to the last three questions, you, you mentioned earlier to me, and it was too many to count, but a few mm-hmm. of the, the nonprofits that you've, you've been involved with or are involved mm-hmm. with, I guess, what are, what are some of those activities that, sure. that you're doing now? Well, this was something I got interested in doing after kind of getting into a position here at USAA after finishing my CFA. I have three children, married, for I've been married for 32 years, and we have three children, and uh, they had all been in school or getting ready to go to college. So I wanted to, I felt like I've been really blessed with opportunities at USAA and, and the things that I've learned, and at the same time become aware that there seemed to be a lot of need in the nonprofit communities for people just to volunteer and provide some assistance or guidance, advice or governance around finance or investments. And so that's what sort of motivated me and also things that I was interested in. So my first one, I was a board member and treasurer for the San Antonio Gun Club for about 12 years. That's a part of the uh, San Antonio Parks organization, an area uh, public school, public school district here in San Antonio on their investment committee, the Hemisphere Conservancy, which is something I'm involved in right now as a board member and treasurer and very interesting project to rebuild Hemisphere Park in downtown San Antonio with some really world-class facilities and infrastructure. So it was one I was, I think I was the second board member on that. And it basically started from 
from zero. So uh, I had to figure out uh, all the things that we needed to do to get it started. So that's been, that's been great. I might pick up on another one here. Again, all of our children are, are out of school. All three of them are married. And so even though it takes a lot of time at work, it, it's just something I, I have a passion for. That is why I think it's wonderful that you're giving back. Thank you. Well, let's move to the final three questions. I close every podcast with the same three questions, and and I've had some good comments based on on the answers we get from those. So I, I think it's really good content. The first one's usually the easiest one. What has been mm-hmm. your proudest moment? That's pretty hard. As I mentioned, having three children, getting them all through school, they all found great mates, and between June 2016. In June 2017, all three of them got married. So we're in a 50-week period of time, all three of our children got married. So pretty proud about that. But that's probably not the context you were looking for. I would say it's an odd, proud moment for someone who works in accounting and finance with degrees and designations that I have. You wouldn't think that I have a problem with math. I actually had a problem with math you know, just stemming out of high school, stumbling blocks and not, you know, kind of getting behind and not really learning the basics. And one of the proudest moments related to where I am today was actually getting a B in business calculus after I'd gone back to college. So that doesn't, may not sound like a lot, but in terms of what it did for my confidence in attacking tougher courses and really getting attracted to finance and accounting, if I hadn't really worked hard and got that course and got what it needed to get that course done, who knows where we've gone from there. So that was a, that was a pretty proud moment for me. <laughs> That's wonderful that you would share it as well, because there's somebody out there listening that enjoys what they do, but they have a hard time, you know, at the, at the math aspect. Mm-hmm. So th- thank you. Thank you. You bet. Well, tell us about a mistake you've made. And of course, we need to know what you learned from it. But frankly, mm-hmm. the bigger, the better. Well, it's, it's sort of a, a mistake that you wouldn't say had a single episode, but the, probably the biggest mistake that I have, have made and learned from it is not asking for what I wanted, assuming that managers and leaders could read your mind and that they knew what you wanted and we're going to take care of you and help you along those ways. And so really, you know, I've had a, a really nice long career. I think back what a mistake it was to not be more clear along the way on what career aspects, career aspirations I had, where I did want to go versus where I didn't want to go. So not necessarily a colossal career mistake, but it was a shortcoming. And I would, you know, I would urge people to to really make it known as you work with your managers or or anyone that you have a, a relationship with is to be clear about what you're looking forward to or what you want as opposed to sort of expecting them to, to read your mind about it. Mm, that is good feedback. That's actually come out on one of our other episodes as well. And mm. I, I think many of us think that we do a good job, we'll get noticed. And yes. There's just, there's a lot of noise in the world. <laughs> so it doesn't always have you. Yes, you have to be humble, but yeah, yeah. yes, you, you have to make your voice heard. Thank you. That's right. That's right. And I like, I like the word you used in there, you know, being humble about it, being respectful and professional about it. 
But you, you can, you know, I think people are sometimes worried that they're going to come across as pushy or they're going to be offensive in some way or another. But in a respectful, professional way, you absolutely need to, to do that. And now as a manager and as a leader for a long, long time, knowing what I've learned, the, the thing that I try to impress upon my, my team all the time is, look, I don't have all the answers. I don't have a crystal ball. And if there's something I'm missing about you or anything we're doing, please tell me about it. Please tell me about it. And being able to you know, open up that communication both ways has been great. Yes, I, I'm a manager as well. And I'll say that it helps me to know what people's aspirations are. <laughs> just, Absolutely. It removes the Absolutely. guesswork. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. Well, last question. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? And then we'll go ahead and close it down. Well, the kind of a combination is is to do things that other people won't do. And back when, you know, I was trying to consider what I wanted to do in my career as I was pursuing the CPA, there was there was other designations that were available for employees that were doing what I was doing at USAA, professional designations like the uh, Fellow Life Management Institute called the FLMA, FLMA. Chartered Financial Consultant was one that the American College did. Those were not near as time-consuming as difficult as the CPA or the CFA, but nonetheless, they were offered. USAA paid for them if you would, you know, if you wanted to do it. And so it was all in a way of kind of getting back to the original thing we talked about is I, I took the accounting courses because I wanted to strengthen my ticket. Doing these designations and things like that, didn't have to do them, but those were things that I think definitely helped me along the way. So my advice basically is if you have those opportunities in your career, even though they're not required, Think strongly about doing that. Make your resume and make, I call it your ticket, make your ticket as strong as you can. And the other related to that is to get yourself ready for that next job or that next position well before it's open or well before, you know, they're taking resume so that that you become the slam dunk candidate. Or if you're in a situation where maybe you're in an organization and there's an opportunity that opens up because somebody retires or leaves somewhere else. The work that you did ahead of time to get ready for that job, the relationships that you built, whatever designations, licenses, or whatever, that you've done all that ahead of time so that when that opportunity comes up, you want to be that person who, what I call the slam dunk candidate, that everybody's in your court because you've developed the relationships You've done more than what it takes to prepare yourself professionally, educationally, to do the job, and that then you can just celebrate that that work that you did and and those relationships that you created, they paid off. That is good advice. One of our other guests said something along the lines of, you know, just do such a good job that they have no choice but to promote you. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Well, that's right. And, you know, doing a good job, I think it's, I mean, that, you know, whatever job you were in and you're doing those, those things really, really good, that's, I think that's absolutely important. But maybe the other things help round out the picture, help kind of create that irrefutable evidence that not only is he really, really good at his job, but these other things, he or she have the ability to influence people. 
which I think is a really big thing in, in organizations today as well. So that would be my advice. That's the advice I give to my kids. And they're not, none of, I have no kids or their husbands are in the finance or accounting world, but I think it's kind of universal. That's true. Well, thank you again so much for sharing your time with us. I've really enjoyed this conversation, and, and I know it's going to be very valuable to the listeners out there. You've been very transparent, and I really appreciate that. Well, thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure. Time flies when you're having fun, and anything I can do to, to help others along their path, I'm more than happy to do it. Wonderful. Well, for our audience, this has been another episode of Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. If you haven't yet visited our home website by chance, please do so. You can find the show notes for this episode, of course, but really every episode that we've recorded. That website is whereaccountantsgo.com. Once again, that's www.whereaccountantsgo.com. And on that note, Doug, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave the audience with? (laughs) Well, I think it's wonderful what you're doing here, Mark. When one of your listeners told me about it, of course, I didn't have any idea that such a thing existed, but I think it's a wonderful thing that you're doing this and to give people an opportunity to learn about different careers and jobs in the accounting field or even, you know, sort of collateral to it. I would just tell your listeners to keep up the good work, work hard, develop those relationships. And I'm sure you're going to have a great career in accounting or anything, you know, related to that. Thank you. It's something I really enjoy. And I appreciate you volunteering your time as well. Well, thank you again to the audience for joining us. We will see everybody next week. There's more to come.